Well, let me pray, and we're going to dive into our final portion of our series on prayer, today doing a message on our daily bread and how we as children of God can approach the Father as a child, not as a beggar. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time this morning, just the richness of being together in fellowship, being able to worship you and and turn our minds back over to what is so powerful and true, worshiping you, magnifying who you are, making you bigger in our hearts, making our perspective in alignment with heaven. And now as we have the incredible privilege to open up the word of God, we pray that you would speak to every single heart, my friends who are here in person, my friends who are watching online, even those who may be watching this on YouTube later. Father, thank you that you want to speak a revelation to every heart here this morning. And thank you for the incredible privilege of being able to speak to you in prayer. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to open up the idea this morning of coming to God as a child and not as a beggar with two quick little stories that I want to compare. The first one is the story of my friend Georgie. And this kid is hilarious. He's a go-getter. Uh, If he signs up for a job somewhere, it's only a matter of time before he becomes manager. He's that type of personality that's infectious, that uh, everybody loves him. He's stubborn at heart, hilarious. And uh, I remember that uh, one day when he was getting near his 30s, we had dinner in downtown. And he was looking a little sad. And he goes, you know, I'm getting near my 30s. I've never had a girlfriend. And I've tried everything. I think I'm finally giving up. I think there's no more, no more hope for me. I'm like, don't say that, Georgie. I said, 16 years ago when, when uh, I saw my wife for the first time, I wasn't looking for a wife. She literally came around the corner. It was love at first sight. And 11 months later, we were married. I said, if God can do that for me, he can do it for you. Don't ever doubt that God can be the one that can bring your future wife around the corner when you least expect it. And he kind of shook his head no and said, no, it's not, it's not for me. It's not going to happen. Less than one month later, this beautiful young lady comes around the corner. They fall in love. I got to officiate their wedding. I told this story at their wedding. And now they uh, are celebrating. They have a beautiful little baby boy. And so this came out of nowhere. But he had a heart that kind of gave up hope. Like, yeah, God is able, but there's nothing in my heart that believes that. The next story is one when I was on a staff of about 12 full-time people uh, working at not a big church, but not a small church. And there was one time when the senior pastor had left for a retreat. And a couple days later, he comes back and our human resource director, who was also in charge of our finances, she said to the senior pastor, we have no money. It's gone. And he's like, oh, wow, that's, that's a bummer. He goes, well, what do we have in the savings that we can transfer over? And she says, you don't understand. We have nothing. And so there's panic, you know, there, there was barely $1,000 to the name of the church. Payroll was coming up that week. We had 12 full-time staff members to pay. There was a, a Christian school attached, and we didn't even know how we were going to pay our bills at the end of that week. So the senior pastor calls his board together, and they have an emergency board meeting. And he goes, I, I don't know what to do. We have nothing. What are we going to do? And the board members, they said, well, we need to do what we know we're called to do, and that's to pray. And so they gathered around and spent a long portion of time praying and just going before God as to what he would want as a direction to keep the church afloat and keep the church going and all these people who depend on a paycheck and so forth. And one of the board members finally spoke up and he said, you know, I really feel impressed on my heart that in a time when we feel we have nothing, that we still need to be generous. I believe we need to sow a seed at this time. 
So they collected what they had. They, they rounded up about $1,000, and the senior pastor wrote out a check and went down to a sister church that we knew was struggling big time financially. And we gave away the little bit that we had left. And to, to our surprise, but not of a surprise to God, by Sunday, we had over $100,000 come into the church. And from that point, the church never struggled again financially. And until the time I left, 11 years later, never struggled with finances ever again. So here are two stories. One of them is, I have no hope. God, I've been begging you for something all these years. You're still gracious in that you gave me a bride. And then the other side is, wow, we don't know what to do, but we're not going to sit here and beg God to do something and, and cry out to him, why aren't you answering our prayers? And cry out to him, how could you let this happen? Instead, in humility, they position their hearts to go before the throne of grace and say, Father, what have you for us to do? What are we to do? And I share these two stories to, to bring in light that we have this incredible privilege in prayer to talk to the creator of the universe, the one who is responsible for everything that is in existence. You and I have his attention. We have his ear, and he delights in fellowship with us as much as we do with him. And in prayer, we draw closer to God. In prayer, we find strength in the moments we need it most. In prayer, we find revelation. We, we gain hope. We, we get the perspective that only comes from heaven when we submit ourselves into prayer. But we need to come before God who made the way back into his arms. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. And he provided a way that we can come before him as children to let him love on us and that we can worship and magnify him back. And so we need to be careful in our attitude of prayer. I believe that there can be a way we can pray wrong. And I know many of us here have been Christians for a long time, right? I'm not calling you old. I'm just saying y'all been a Christian for a long time. Me, I've been a Christian for 23 years now. And in my little 23 years, I've made a lot of mistakes in prayer. I want to share with you kind of my top mistakes that I felt the Lord really blessed to give me a revelation on. The first one is that we pray for something that we already have. Sometimes we pray for things that we already have. If, if you ever find yourself being bored in prayer, or if you ever feel like you're praying and praying and praying and they just bounce off the ceiling, you might be praying for something that you already have. Now, when Jesus went to the cross, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And on his sacrifice, we were able to receive forgiveness, salvation, healing, prosperity, deliverance, hope, strength, all what I call the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God that he gave to everyone who would believe and receive. And so we have this on, on, on Jesus and what he gave to us. We have been given these things. That's why I love the New American Standard, because so many times in the scriptures, it speaks in past tense. By his stripes, you were healed. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound. And that's how it says it in the New American. I love it, because it shows us that Jesus finished the work. He died 2,000 years ago before you were even born. Your sins were forgiven before you were even born. So here's a controversial example, all right? Just have fun with me for a quick second. So we know that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for everybody's sins, correct? And he removed our penalty as far as the east is from, from the west. So 2,000 years ago, before you can even accept him, he died for the sins of the entire world. And when you receive Jesus as saviors, your sins are blotted out. They are completely removed. We see scripture like Hebrews 10, 14 that says that one offering, Jesus' one offering on the cross perfected us, those who are sanctified. 
We see in 1 John 2, 2, that Jesus dying on the cross was the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and it says, and the sins of the world. So if our sins have been forgiven, all of our sins in the past, all the sins we're going to do today, and all the sins in the future, when we pray, do we beg God for forgiveness? I don't think we do. I think that there's a lot of things we can do because of our sin. I think that we can repent of our sins, that we can confess our sins to one another, that we can renew our minds so that we don't sin again, that we can say, God, I'm so sorry I hurt your heart, but to beg him for forgiveness that he's already given on the cross. Now, why is that a danger? It's not a huge issue, but why is it a danger? Well, if you are coming before God constantly in this attitude of I'm horrible and I need your forgiveness, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner— then that says something differently about the identity that God has declared over you, that we are pure children, that we are ambassadors of Christ, that we are children of God, that our sins have been taken away, that it's no longer our old man that lives, it's the new man. Those who are in Christ Jesus have become a new creation. So we got to remember that when we go before him, we're thanking him for the forgiveness that he's given to us. We're thanking him for the healing that by his stripes we have been healed. So it changes kind of the attitude and the way that you pray and helps you better understand how to communicate and relate to God more. As an example, uh, years ago, had a lady in our church, and after the service, she came up to me and she says, hey, Pastor Rudy, um, I don't think I've ever been saved. I don't think I've ever let Jesus in my heart. I said, well, that's exciting. And I started explaining the scriptures to her. And and I said, would you like to receive this free gift? And we held hands and I I led her in a salvation type prayer. And and she was so excited. And I went home happy. I mean, when somebody gets saved, that's the greatest day. Then the next week, she comes up to testify. And she stands before the church and she says, last week, I gave my heart to the Lord. I'm saved. And everybody erupts in applause. And then she goes, this is my third time being saved. So you know what they say? Third time is a charm. <laughs> she really believed that with her heart, that you can get resaved and resaved. So needless to say, I had a future conversation with her, and we explained a little bit more about the, uh, what salvation truly meant. But when we pray, sometimes we get bored because we ask God to do stuff he's already done. And we want to go before the Father to ask him for things only he can do and to ask him what we should do and just to be with him. And so the next mistake that I've made is that I pray that God would do something that he's asked me to do. So as an example, especially as a younger Christian, temptations that were in my heart, I remember saying prayers like, God, can you just take this from me? Can you just remove this? Can you just get rid of this anger? Can you get rid of this temptation? Can you get rid of this sin? I don't want to deal with it. I felt like uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, the thing I want to do, I don't do. And the thing I don't want to do, I do. And who's going to save me from this body of death? You know, just completely overwhelmed by this, this wrestling match that we have in sin. And I would call out to God, take it from me. But in actuality, God was like, I've called you to be righteous. I've called you to be holy. I've called you to be pure. And in all your actions and the way that you renew your mind and the fellowship you have and the accountability you set forth in your life and the studying of the scriptures and letting the word of God transform your heart, those things should be removing the temptation. I can't just fix it and take it from you. Now, God is God, and he could do whatever he wants. He can completely do that. But sometimes I ask him to do stuff that he's actually asked me to do. Like he's this cosmic genie, and I just want him to fix all the problems and not do anything on my end, being spiritually lazy, you know? God is in the business of using people. He created this incredible universe and world, but he put Adam and Eve, people, to be in charge of it. 
Then he creates the law, but rather than just implement the law, he put a man, Moses, in charge of it. When he created the church, the New Testament church, he put a bunch of knuckleheads who didn't have it all together to launch the church of Jesus Christ. And even when it came to the salvation of the world, he sent his son in the form of a man. God loves partnership. God loves to use us. God has an assignment for us in prayer. So yes, we go before the Father to be in his presence. We, we go in prayer just to talk to our wonderful Father in heaven, but we also have an assignment. He wants to speak to you. He has a calling on your life. He wants to accomplish great and powerful things in and through you. And I don't care if you're 95, 99 years old, he can still use you. And I've seen it. I have a 94-year-old friend who just started a, a ministry doing the hymns, the old classic hymns, to a bunch of other 90-year-olds. God can use us at any age and at any stage. But when we pray, we want to pray that God can do the things that only he can do. Things like, Father, would you bring salvation to my friend? Would Holy Spirit, would you woo their hearts to salvation? And would you move in them? Would you speak to them? Only God, you can do that. And then there's other things that the Father's going to speak over to our lives and say, I need you to go encourage that person. I need you to go pray for that person. And I know you're terrified, but I need you to start this ministry. And I know you're scared, but I'm actually calling you to Australia, and you're going to go there, and I have some work for you there, or you need to write a book. And I know you're terrified of what people are going to think, but I'm calling you. So in prayer, we find that God can even ask us things to do. And I found I've made the mistake so many times of saying, God, you do it. You fix it. You take care of it. And the whole time, it's like, work with me, partner with me. And the final mistake that's on, on the top of my list is that uh, I've fallen in love with the art of praying more than the one I'm praying to. Sometimes we fall in love with the things we do in church more so than the ones we're doing it for. I mean, Christian disciplines, every single thing we do in our faith, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, fasting, praying, worshiping, all these things are avenues to the presence of God. Whenever we open up the word, the ultimate goal should be, have I gotten closer to God? Have I gone deeper with God? Every spiritual discipline should lead to the manifest presence of God. But I think especially for intercessors and preachers, we get into a big danger of falling into the art form of this. Why? Because several times there's an audience. Several times we get the amens. Several times we're like, what a great word, preacher, you know? And we walk away like, yes, yeah, that was a great word, wasn't it? You know, and we fall in love with, with doing the preaching rather than preaching of the one who loved us. So we can't fall in love with the art, the discipline of prayer, or our routine of prayer more so than the one that we love. It should always be about relationship. You know, the prodigal son story in Luke chapter 15, phenomenal story. I mean, just as Jesus explaining the kingdom and salvation and coming to the Father, but we always read that story with the son in mind, the prodigal son in mind. He took his father's money, spent it on lavish living, came to his senses, and came running back to his father. Now, that's a beautiful story of redemption, a beautiful story of, of forgiveness. But I think there's a, a greater story and a better challenge to us with the elder brother. The elder brother did everything right. He followed every rule. He did everything for his father. He was a yes, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, every single time. But the whole time he was seething, the whole time he was angry, he was bitter. Like, I'm doing everything right, and you've never pursued me to reward me for the good work that I'm doing. Now, this son of yours, I love how he, in the scriptures, didn't say my brother. He said, this son of yours, he comes and he spends all this money, and you reward him? I've always been here. You've never even given me so much as a, a goat to barbecue with my friends. 
And the father looks at him and says, son, I've always been here with you. And all that I have is actually yours. But your brother has chosen what is greater. He came back. He was lost and now he is found. And how much more for us in the attitude of prayer? It's not, God, I've done everything right. I deserve a gold star. I've read my Bible every day. I have prayed every day. I did not go one meal without blessing it before I ate it. And I would really want this. Could you give it to me? No, it's coming in prayer with the reality that our God loved us so much. He gave everything to us first. He gave us his love and his pleasure and forgiveness before we could even respond. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we come in this attitude of prayer. So I say we're not beggars. We're children. We're children thanking to God for everything he wants to give to us and do in and through us. But the end game, the ultimate goal is to be near to him. So I want to share a beautiful prayer found in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 9. This is right before King David passes away. If you're not sure where 1 Chronicles is in your Bible, it's probably where the pages stick together because it might have been a while since we've read it. <laughs> 1 Chronicles 29, your 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, chapter 29. I'm going to read 10 verses here. This is a prayer that David is giving to his people in this admonishment to want to build a temple, a house for God to worship him night and day. But I love the perspective that he brings. He's not begging God. He's not necessarily asking God for something. And he's receiving this notion that I will do whatever you tell me to do. And it's perfectly worded. And there's some encouragement I want to bring uh, once we're done reading it. So beginning in verse 10, New American Standard. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord. And you exalt yourself as head over all. Just magnifying who God is. If there's one great thing you can do every day is make God bigger and bigger and bigger in your heart and in your imagination. Verse 12, both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all and in your hand is power and might and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you and from your hand we have given you. For we are sojourners before you and tenants of all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow and there is no hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name, it is from your hand and all is yours. Since I know, O my God, that you try the heart and delight in uprightness, I and the integrity of my heart have willingly offered all these things. So now with joy I have seen your people who are present here, make their offerings willingly to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, preserve this forever in the intentions of the heart of your people and direct their heart to you. And give to my son Solomon a perfect heart to keep your commandments, your testimonies, your statutes, and, and all of them, and to build the temple for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, now bless the Lord your God, and all the assembly bless the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed low and paid homage to him. So here David is 
collecting the entire nation to look up and magnify who God is. And as they speak to the Father, they're thanking him and affirming in their hearts that, God, you are powerful. You're in charge of it all. You have all things worked out for my good. And we want to build you a, a temple, a home where we can worship you night and day. But he said, in the uprightness of my heart, David had bloodshed, so he knew he couldn't build a temple, but his son could. So he prays that his son's heart would forever stay in a place that would worship and obey the Lord. Now, from this prayer, I don't see begging. From this prayer, I don't see confusion. From this prayer, I don't see self-centeredness. There's so much that we can collect from this prayer that can teach us in the submission of our hearts how to pray in complete submission and in integrity and in intimacy with the Father. So if you're taking notes, a couple of encouragements that I want to wind down with. The first is that when we pray, we pray to enter God's presence. When we pray, we pray to enter God's presence. One of the funniest bumper stickers that I've ever seen was on the back of a big old truck, and the bumper sticker said, yes, this is my truck. No, I won't help you move. (laughs) And I think we all have that friend who only calls us when they need something. That one person that every time we see that number on Caller ID, I'm like, what do they want now, right? They they want my truck. They want me to help. They want something. You know, they're in need again, right? Well, we can do the same thing to God. Our prayer time could be nothing more than a monologue in which we present all of our complaints and all of our requests and then say amen without giving God the opportunity to speak to us and go about our days getting angry if he doesn't answer it. Like it's some divine helpline that we can just call on God whenever we need to. And we can fall into the danger of only going to God when we need him, only going in prayer when we are that desperate. It's the salt shaker analogy where, oh my gosh, the world is in in chaos and you get God off the shelf and you start praying and sprinkle a little bit. But when it's seasoned and things are good again, you put them back on the shelf and you forget about them until there's another need and another problem. If going to God in prayer is about his presence, then you're not going to put them on the shelf for long periods of time when you're dealing with things in life. And not to say that we can't come to God with our requests. He's a big God, and we can ask him whatever we want. The the scriptures give us license to do that. As we spoke of two weeks ago, Matthew 7, 7, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. Mark 11, 24, which every Pentecostal and charismatic loves, (laughs) if you ask of him and believe in your heart, it shall be given to you. And so we see multiple times in the scripture where we can't go before God and ask him for things. But I think our heartbeat in prayer should really be Psalm 145, verse 18, that the Lord is near to those who call on him. When we call to our Father in heaven, when we go before him in an attitude of prayer, when we get with him and carve out time of our busy schedules to just be with him, there's a sweetness that comes with his presence. And I want to read to us, this is not in your notes and it won't be on the screen, but a very, very, very famous portion of scripture is in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Now, it's one that we we reference all the time when it comes to prayer. But as I was re-looking at it, the Lord brought it to my heart this past week. I'm like, this is pretty harsh, actually. If we really read it, you know, fundamentally, just like literally as it is, it can actually be pretty harsh. Let me look at this. Uh, Beginning in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Imagine a preacher comes to the pulpit and it's like, okay, good morning, let us pray. Open up your Bibles to Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> Have a great week. Go do that and see if you can do it. 
Right? I mean, it, it's not saying come to me so that I can uh, heal your anxious heart. It, it doesn't say you will be healed of an anxious heart. It says don't be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. And I know several of us have dealt with anxiety, and we know it's a very serious deal. And that's why I love 1 Peter 5, 7 so much, that we can cast our anxiety on him because he cares for us. But he says, be anxious for nothing, but instead do this. But in everything, by prayer, which is communication with God, and supplication, which is asking God for things, but here's the kicker, with thanksgivings. Thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So if I'm going to ask God for something with thanksgiving, that looks a whole, lot of, a whole lot different than begging him. That looks like, Father, thank you that you always hear me. And I need healing in my body. And I thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross so that I can be healed by your stripes. And I thank you in advance that you're going to work all things together for my good. So you're, you're asking and requesting with faith. You're asking with gratitude. You're asking with the perspective that God is fully able to take care of everything that you have in need. And so we do this. We let our requests be made known to God with thanksgiving. And then verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here's, here's what I have. I, I, I'm worried. I have anxiety in my heart. I'm dealing with these things. Sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night. I'm like, why am I bothered by this? Why, why am I up at 3 o'clock? I need this sleep. I don't need to be worrying about this. And I, can, I can't accomplish anything by worrying. Oh, I'm anxious. Okay, I need to pray. I need to get back in his presence, Father. Speak to me. You know these things I'm dealing with. It's not a surprise to you. Here is my request. I thank you that you are fully capable of taking care of all of my stuff. And then I get into this place after being in his presence where I have his peace. Now, if I have God's peace from prayer, I could care less about the answer. That's his job. He could take care of it. I know he is able. You don't have to convince me. History proves that you are faithful. History can prove of the great things that you have done. But for right now, what I need is peace. And if I can walk in peace, which allows me to go deeper in his presence, that's the greatest answer we could ever get. But God is good because he is faithful to take care of us and turn all things around that the enemy meant for evil, he can turn it for good. So we enter his presence in prayer. The second thing is that we pray to enter God's preference. Now, really, what I'm trying to say is God's will, but all my points start with P because I'm a preacher, so I had to use preference. God's preference. We want his will. We don't want to impose our will. We don't want to manipulate God to have our will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I heard this uh, story of a man in, in some of my study time this week where he was on a new diet and he was struggling. So he's going before God. I need help. I need help. But he was really craving a donut. So he says, okay, God, I know I'm going to pass the donut shop on my way to work. If it be your will, and I know you want me to have this donut, let the very first parking spot be open. And so he, he drove around there, and uh, he came back and testified later and said, wouldn't you know it, about the eighth time around, that parking spot was open. <laughs> Just kind of manipulating to get kind of what you want in your will. But no, as we bring our request to God, as we come before the Father with our request, it's got to be in his will. You know, God, give me a Lamborghini. Why? You can buy one car for yourself and seven others for seven other people instead of buying that Lamborghini. You know, I saw this interview with Shaquille O'Neal, and he had a 75,000-square-foot home. And the interviewer said, do you use all that space? And he goes, no, we basically use the kitchen because I love food, the living room to watch TV, and the bedroom. That's all. They probably use about 1,400 square feet in their entire home of 75,000 square feet. 
And the interviewer was he's like, you have 15 rooms and you don't have 15 people that need a, a place and a roof over their head. You know, so when we come with our request, we can't come with ridiculous requests. God is faithful to give us what we desire. He's faithful to give us what we want, but he's also faithful to give us what we need. And sometimes that's not what we want. <laughs> but we want to do God's will, bottom line. And, and I love the scriptures like in John 14, 14, that if you ask in my name, it shall be done for you. Or in the, the other one, it's in First uh, John 5, 14, that anything that you ask in my will, I will hear. And so it's coming before him with requests, but it's also coming before him knowing we're still on this side of eternity. So God's will, God's ways, God's answers are perfect, but our requests are not. And so we come in that humility of saying, God, this is what my heart desires. I pray that it's true and holy, but I want to be in alignment with your will. And let me tell you, if you want to walk in some peace if you want to see a lot of anxiety go from your soul, be in alignment with the will of God. Because when you can lay your head at night with a clean conscience, when you've gone about your week saying, I've done everything in my personal might to be obedient to God and to do what he has asked me to do, there is a strength and a peace that comes in that. You found yourself as sensitive to the presence as possible and as desensitized away from the world as much as you can. So we enter God's presence, we seek his preference first and foremost, and the final thing is that we pray to enter God's power. Pray to enter God's power. Because yes, prayer is all about communing with him and talking with him in his presence. Yes, it's about clarifying what his will is for our lives and for this world, but it's also God wants to speak to us and he wants to use us. So again, I've said this several times, but you can wake up, open your Bible, sit there and say nothing for a half an hour and still walk away and call it prayer because you're allowing the father to speak to you and he's going to have an assignment for you. Sometimes that might be scary, but when we partner with God, when he gives us an assignment and we say yes to it and we just step out on faith, that is such some of the greatest joy you will ever encounter in life when you're in alignment with what God wants to do in your life. And I'm praying that a sleeping church of Jesus Christ would awaken I'm telling you, we've seen some incredible revivals. The Foursquare Church was birthed out of a revival. We've seen God do some mighty moves of God from Azusa Street to the Jesus People Movement. We've seen God move. There's another revival coming. I believe it with all my heart. I believe we've seen a revival of Jesus the Son and grace. We've seen a revival of the Holy Spirit and power. We need a revival of the Father's heart to bring orphans and the lost ones back to salvation and to a reality of the children of God. I know it's coming, but we have to walk in God's power. The churches can't pray and sit idly. We have to wake up. And I believe when we wake up and we walk in what we're truly called to do, we're going to see some crazy things happen in our nation. I remember being in a small little workshop. We had a consultant one time in one of the churches I was at. He came by to pep us up, you know, one of those Tony Robbins or whatever kind of guys. And so I'm just listening to it and, you know, in one ear, out the other. But he said this one story that gripped my heart. He said he got to go to Alaska and be a part of the, the dog races, the, what's it called, the Iditarod. So he got to be a part of that. He got to see the races, but he actually got to stay with one of the contestants, one of the competitors. He got to stay in his house with all of his probably 100 dogs. And, of course, he had one group of dogs that were his best that he always ran with, and then one leader dog who could train all the other ones as well. Unfortunately, that leader dog was injured. In one of the last races, she injured her, her leg, so she couldn't go on any races for quite a while. 
But this uh, host, he wanted to take uh, this, uh, the speaker and uh, show him what a real dog race was all about. So he's like, you're going to hop on with me, and we're going to let these dogs floor it. And so he started chaining up all the dogs. And if you've ever seen this, these dogs go ballistic. When the, the leashes and the harnesses come out, it's like everything inside of them comes alive, including the injured dog who was tied up with the chain and behind a chain link fence. She couldn't go, but she was bouncing and barking and yelping because all she wanted to do was be the leader of that pack right there. And so they hook all the dogs up and they take off. Well, this injured dog was so alive because of what is happening right now, she broke the metal chain, scaled the wall, and caught up to the dog race. And the owner had no other option but to hook her up to the front and injured her and all, she took off. Now, isn't it amazing that God in his creation wired these dogs to come alive at the thought of racing? I owned dachshunds before, little weenie dogs. They are designed to eat gophers and rodents and rats, and they will dig a mini Grand Canyon in your backyard and never stop. My dogs filed their nails down to a nub, okay? And if this is so true for animals that we love, but animals, how much more for the son and daughter of the father? who says, I have put you on the planet for such a time as this, and that if my church would just wake up and come alive and find its true delight in what he has called us to do on this planet, the things that we could see in our world. And I believe it begins with prayer. It begins with individual prayer. It begins with the corporate prayer and the fellowship of the church, but also in the times where God calls the individual and calls the church to be in alignment with what he has called us to do. And I pray, family, that fear be removed from your heart. I pray that doubt be completely expelled because of the spirit who wants to speak to you. And Father, we thank you that you have a plan, not only for every one of my friends here, you have a plan for Southgate Fellowship, you have a plan for the Dallas-Fort Worth area, you have a plan for this world, that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we as your children, flawed as we may be, have been given the hope of salvation in Christ Jesus by your grace, by your power, Holy Spirit, to be able to partner with you, God. What a privilege we have. And I just pray now in this, this atmosphere now of wanting to become closer to you and to rise up when you call us, I pray for every heart in this room. In the name of Jesus, we rebuke the spirit of anxiety. In the name of Jesus, we rebuke and we cast out fear in hearts. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you would deposit, Holy Spirit, fresh wind, fire, revelation into every mind, that our thoughts would be renewed, that our minds would stay on you. In perfect peace, the scriptures declare, in perfect peace are those whose minds are stayed on you. And I pray this week as we begin new opportunities at work, at school, at home, in our communities, that we would do just that. Keep our minds stayed on you. Keep us in an attitude of prayer, Father. Keep us in a place of submission. Keep us in a place of joyous intimacy with you. That when you bring opportunities, it's not through fear, but through power and through faith that we seize the opportunities to let your glory be released. That people can see our good works and praise the Father in heaven. We love you, Lord, today. And as we go, may there be a blessing and protection upon my friends. May you fill them with more of your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, family. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.